dynamic voices for a diverse church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pass the Mic, dynamic voices for a diverse church, powered by The Witness, a black Christian collective. I am your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. Please don't forget about the gram at Burns Clan. Follow at your own risk. And joining me, as always, is the man, the myth, the legend, the two-time best-selling author, the founder of The Witness, international man of mystery, the preacher, the speaker, and also the author of the Young Reader's Edition of How to Fight Racism, available wherever books are sold. Please go pick it up. Mr. Blue Check verified himself, Dr. Jamar Tisby. What's going on, brother? (laughs) It takes two to make a thing go right. Look, man, I'm trying to get you. I'm trying to get you out here. Okay. It takes two to make it out of sight. Tyler is speechless. <laughs> I can't see him, but I'm, I'm glad I can't see. My eyes did not see what just happened. Oh, yeah, you right. love it. You love it. Look, man, we're here for Cultural Artifacts, and we have recorded and shared with you part one of Cultural Artifacts. Now we are, as Jamar (laughs) so loudly, boisterously has said, we are on part two of Cultural (laughs) Artifacts. And for those of you who are unaware, unfamiliar, we pick our favorite things from a given year, compile it down to a list of 10. But these are not these things are that a few of our year. favorite things. This is just background music. Uh, just see, keep going. <laughs> pretend like nah, there's nothing talking. Nah. No, no, nothing going on. Just keep talking. <laughs> nah, G. This, I see what this episode gonna be, bro. I see what this episode. <laughs> but look, so what we are doing is we are talking about things that we have consumed, our favorite things that we have consumed or experienced from 2021. Doesn't necessarily have to come out in the year 2021. So it could be a book from years ago, could be a person from years ago, could be whatever, as long as we have interacted with and been moved by, or culture and society has been moved by them in that given year. Jamar, give them your first five that you shared in the last episode as a recap. Yes. To recap from part one, my my first five cultural artifacts were Black women, the documentary, A Man Named Scott, The U.S. Legal System, The January 6th Insurrection, and The COVID-19 Vaccine. And my first five, again, in no particular order, were the movie, Judas and the Black Messiah, the book, Said I Wasn't Gonna Tell Nobody by Dr. James Cone, the album, Red Hands Live by the Red Hands Band, the comic, Bitter Root, and the person, the incredible person, Zaila Avant-Garde. Okay, we got five more things each to share with you. Jamar, let's get straight into it. You go first. What's number six on your list? Okay, this one is a little bit different. Um, In terms of an artifact, it's more of a mood or a mindset or a state of mind. So for my first cultural artifact, of part two, I chose clarity, clarity. Hmm. Hmm. Now, (laughs) I feel like 2021 was a year of clarity. Oftentimes it was a forced clarity. We were forced to look at things, to re-examine things, to rethink things that we really didn't want to, or we were reluctant to, or that was shoved in our face because of different events. But 
the result, if we've been paying attention and have been open to the process, was more clarity. So I'm thinking of a few areas. There has been clarity when it comes to the church in the United States. So the way I describe it is what's Mm. happening now is a realignment of the church in the United States. What we are seeing is clear lines of division, clear ideological lines that make it also very clear where we stand and where others stand, especially when we've been in the same congregation, denomination, fellowship, and we thought we were all on the same page, but we're really not. Now, those lines have been drawn um, along critical race theory and 1619 project. That's in the society in general, but it's also affected the church and how we view and talk about racial justice. There's another big division happening Uh, There's a reoccurring conversation about the role of women and men in the church. In this case, Mm -hmm. uh, white evangelicals are talking about egalitarianism versus complementarianism. Who can be ordained? How can women serve? All of those kind of things. And again, it it is a realignment. Christian nationalism is part of this thing. And some churches are digging in their heels, supporting the status quo. Some Christians are looking up and realizing, saying, hey, this isn't what I thought it was, and I need to go somewhere else. So there's been clarity around the church. There's been clarity around our political system and uh, partisan divides where people stand. Masks versus no masks. Vaccine versus anti-vaccine shouldn't be political issues. These are medical issues, but they've been politicized. Again, the CRT in 1619 uh, made up debates, made up controversies that go along with those. Um, All of those kinds of things that have um, resulted in very clear lines of distinction between the aisles, even clearer, one might say, than before. And then I would even say clarity on vocation and occupation. So there's Mm. something Mm. happening in 2021 called the Great Resignation. People are in job situations, and because of the pandemic and working remotely and the changing landscape, they've realized or they've asked themselves, am I doing what I really want to do? Or Do I really have to do what I'm doing? Is there something else I could do? And it is an incredible time for creativity and innovation and entrepreneurship with the rise of platforms where creatives can get supported directly by their fans. Uh, That has created new revenue streams. Uh, One is able to bypass or circumvent normal channels and normal institutions and kind of do your own thing, put your own work out there through social media and internet and all of those things. And so people are realizing, I don't have to do this anymore. I have options or that life is short. We're in a pandemic. Democracy is teetering on a razor's edge. I need to live the life I always dreamed of living and not the one I've resigned myself to living. Um, even myself, you know, I took this new job at the Center for Anti-Racist mm-hmm. Research. Yeah. I worked there remotely for five months. I realized in the course of it, 
It just wasn't for me. And there was clarity there. As painful as it was to step down and to try to figure out something new, there was clarity there, at least figuring out what you don't want to do. So my first cultural artifact in the midst of all of the mess going on in 2021, I hope for some it has brought clarity. Nah, that's real. I think uh, you've been walking through that journey and I know you've been walking through that journey pretty prominently in your own life and you know, as you mentioned, taking big steps and then also taking additional steps after that. And so I know that a lot of people are navigating that same thing. So to hear you articulate that is probably going to bring that to remembrance. Also, I will say for people, you know, just to put on my spiritual formation hat, don't enter into 2022 without processing 2021. Absolutely. Don't enter into the, the new year unprocessed. And, you know, whatever that looks like for you and, and however you can research doing that, I encourage you to do that because if you enter into 2022 without processing this year, um, you're, you're not going to make the progress you think you will and you want to. So the first thing we need to do is not resolutions, but review. So that's I like my that. spiritual. All right, preacher. All right. So number six for me, number one in the part two of our cultural artifacts Again, it is a film. It is a film called Le Sommet de Dieu, or the English translation is Summit of the Gods. Okay, because we don't do film. no cursing on this. <laughs> now watch it. This is a film um, on Netflix, and it's hard to explain, but go with me here. It is a 2D animation film, French film, based upon a Japanese manga about mountain climbing. Okay, so let me say it again. It is a 2D animation French film. So it's animated in French, 2D, uh, based on a Japanese manga. So the characters are Japanese about mountain climbing. Okay, okay, but okay, what do you 2D? Isn't isn't that like normal screen? Versus 3D? What is 2D? Yeah, so it's 2D animation. So it's it's a different type. It's not like you're, you're super high. It's not like you're, um, what's an animated thing? It's not like Into the Spider-Verse, right? It's a more okay. basic form of animation, but it still looks beautiful. Like we used to watch Saturday morning cartoons animation? Yeah, similar to that. It gives me Doug vibes. It definitely gives me <laughs> Doug vibes, for sure. Um, man, listen, Jamar. This film is beautiful. It's the most beautiful film I've seen all year. The premise is there is a photojournalist that is trying to track down something that would crack a code that people have been wondering about for many years as it relates to the climbing of Mount Everest. And this photojournalist is an avid fan and follower of climbing culture. And he gets a hold or catches the trail of a former master climber who faded into uh, oblivion after a series of tragic climbing accidents or tragic climbing events. And most people think that this climber has either left the country, passed away, or disappeared. But this photojournalist believes that he has found him. And not only that he's found him, but that this climber is going to make one more attempt at climbing to the peak of Mount Everest. And this photojournalist desires to document and take pictures of 
his climb. And it is unreal, phenomenal, unbelievable, beautiful. It is not a happy-go-lucky film. It is brutally real. The animation is stunning, especially in the climbing scenes. The last half of the film is is darn near perfect. The first half of the film, it's a lot of buildup, but the last half of the film is darn near perfect. And as you can understand, if you're going to document someone's climb on Mount Everest or of Mount Everest, you yourself have to also climb Mount Everest. Right? You can't do it from afar. You have to also participate and take pictures right alongside or behind, or maybe perhaps even ahead of that climber. And so it asks so many intriguing questions about pursuits, about passion, about obsession, about why we do what we do. One of the lines that's in the trailer, and that also is really a line for probably. This season of my life, I'd say, is the photojournalist is saying, or he's narrating, saying, many people ask, why climb, right? Why climb so high? Why climb fast? And he was basically saying that the pursuit of climbing and the the journey of climbing will never end because just because you get there doesn't mean that that's it. You get there, but you also want to get there faster and you want to add all kinds of different obstacles and see if you can climb in a different way or on a different face of the mountain, all kinds of things. And so it's never really done. And so when people ask why climb, he said, my answer would be that for for some, the mountain, climbing a mountain is not a goal, it's a path. Ooh. And the pursuit is not about the destination as much as it is the path that requires something more of you. And sorry, I was in my preacher voice. So I'm a... (laughs) (laughs) can't help it yes yeah i can't help it but it is beautiful it made me ask some very deep questions of myself and what i love and what i'm passionate about and this film stuck with me i watched it twice and i was very emotional the second time because i was actually able to really lean in and feel what the characters were feeling at very pivotal moments of the film. It's just absolutely, it's, it's a film you should watch. If you can stomach the subtitles and if you can stomach the 2D animation, you should definitely watch Les Sommets de Dieu or Summit of the Gods. You had that accent nailed. You've been practicing that one. <laughs> I don't show y'all everything I can do. I show y'all what, I, what y'all need to see. Ah, okay. Very good. Well, next time, do, do the intro in French next time. Maybe I will. <laughs> but it don't Very serve good. nothing. It don't serve. I'll, I'll pull it out when it serves something. It serves oh, come something. on. <laughs> the people want to see. Uh-uh, uh, So this one is probably not going to come as a surprise to people, but it's also one of those ones, a lot has happened in 2021, so we may not even remember it. We probably won't even remember it till it comes around again next year, and because it's going to come around again year after year after year. It's going to be an annual tradition now. My second cultural artifact is Juneteenth becoming a federal holiday. Yes, that is very significant. That is very significant. <laughs> so by now, y'all should know what Juneteenth is. If not, go Google it or check out previous episodes. We've talked about it. Uh, 
I wrote about Juneteenth, making Juneteenth a federal holiday in both of my books, Color of Compromise and How to Fight Racism, as a racial justice action we could pursue in order to better, better commemorate one of the most epochal events in U.S. history, that being the abolition of race-based chattel slavery, the economic and social system that shaped the contours of American life for centuries and took a brutal civil war to this date, America's bloodiest war, in order to abolish. That seems like a pretty big deal. We should probably commemorate it every once in a while. And so this year, finally, just days before the actual uh, Juneteenth date, uh, President Biden signed into law the, the order that made it a federal holiday. And all of a sudden, we had a day off. <laughs> now, I thought it was going to be years in the making before we got a federal holiday. I mean, it's literally yeah, been you've decades. You've written about it. You've, you've <laughs> talked about it. You've, you know, you've given You've given talks about it. All the above. You're like, it's probably a long way away. But Yeah, I thought I thought I was going to have a lot more gray hairs than I do right now by the time this thing came out. So um, it happened, though. It happened. And then I had mixed feelings about it. <laughs> like, I think you and I have talked about it before. But when something has been celebrated and commemorated in black communities and then it suddenly becomes mainstream and widespread it can can we have nice things hearkening back to a <laughs> right. previous episode of possible? past the mic is it possible is it possible so so my concern is yes as a matter of historical importance we absolutely should acknowledge juneteenth every single year it stands as the oldest celebration of black emancipation in the country and it's important. It's just important, at least as important as the 4th of July or any other national holiday that we have. So from that standpoint, yes, but I'm concerned about what happens when other people, particularly uninformed white people, get a hold of this thing. So it yes. seems kind of funny to me <laughs> for white folks to celebrate Juneteenth in the same way that black folks do. You actually talked about this. <laughs> Go ahead, point him to the yeah. article. So, yeah, I, I, I wrote an article, I think it was in the Boston Globe, uh, my first and so far only in the Boston Globe for that. But um, I said it, it was basically the downsides of making Juneteenth a federal holiday, which is that there are going to be a lot of people who look at that holiday and say, oh, isn't it great? Racism is over. Let's celebrate and and let's move on and be colorblind not acknowledging the legacy of race-based child slavery, which we're still dealing with today. Also, a bunch of folks taking credit for something that they instituted in the first place. Hmm. So, <laughs> hmm. And fought against. And fought against, right? Like, it's real convenient now to, as a white person, say, yay, Juneteenth, when, you know, 160 years ago, it's not at all clear that, I mean, it, 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 it's a historical fact that a majority of white people were not on the side of abolition, uh, were not in support of emancipation. And so it's real easy now from the standpoint of the 21st century to celebrate that. But what I think Juneteenth should be for white folks is a day of lamentation and in a spiritual frame, a day of godly grief leading to repentance, acknowledging that race-based chattel slavery benefited 
white people, particularly wealthy white people, and that this system of white supremacy benefited in some ways, earthly ways, white folks at the expense of black folks and other people of color. Now, for black folks, it ought to be a day of celebration. We ought to party like just like we do. We ought to party like we do, as well as remember um, exactly what happened. So I just think it's a it's I mean, it's something we're going to circle back to literally every year now that it's a, a federal holiday. And as it comes up, you know, six months from now, as we record this podcast, we need to be thinking ahead of how to celebrate slash commemorate this <laughs> new holiday in an appropriate way. You know, there's this organization um, real small that um just started it's called yeah Witness, and huh tell me about it it's it's got some people here who are trying to think ahead about a way that you know black folks could potentially celebrate juneteenth you know huh that sounds maybe. like something people should get behind and support maybe donate maybe. to make sure yeah. that it can happen yeah maybe go to the witnessinc.com i don't know you're, yeah, you might be onto something. That's important. And, you know, they might want to circle that date and, you know, think about ah. the southern region, maybe Atlanta, you know, ish area. Um, <laughs> I anyway, love it. I, I, I ain't saying it's, I, I'm not, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, but I'm just saying that might be a wise thing to do. You know, especially if you're in the A, you might want to keep your, keep, your, keep your night open. Your night. You might want to keep it open. Um, (laughs) dropping and get your vaccine. Yeah, you got to get your vaccine and your boost. But anyway, uh, Ali's about to swoop in, and (laughs) she'll probably swoop in and pause. (laughs) Grabbing the mic, she's not gonna pass the mic. She's gonna grab the mic. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Okay, so that is dope. Very important. My number seven. Again, these this list is in no particular order. My number seven is another person. It is actually a battle rapper, the battle rapper award. Now, this is a very unique selection for me, not just because it's in the arena of battle rap, which I probably would have selected something from that arena at some point, but award is also a white Christian battle rapper. So I know huh. what you're thinking, right? And what you're thinking is what I was thinking as well. I was thinking there's no possible way I would ever get into a white Christian battle rapper, really and truly even a Christian battle rapper. That concept, that idea, I'm like, how is that even possible? Is it just going to be a gospel track every round? Like, what is this? So first, let's start with the foundation, which is what is battle rap? Battle rap is the art and the competition. It's actually a professional occupation. (laughs) It is a professional (laughs) occupation with leagues and sponsors and all kinds of things and lots of money. It is the profession and occupation of artful insults. Yes, just like Eight Mile, but without of the beat. Of course, you would love it. <laughs> Listen, no, it's 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 brilliant. It's actually, I think, the peak of difficulty when it comes to hip hop performance art. It is unbelievable. So at the top levels. You have leagues like Ultimate Rap League or URL, King of the Dot, uh, Rare Breed Entertainment or RBE, a a whole lot of different rap leagues where people put on these rap shows and they're shows that people pay pay pay-per-view to watch, um, that people come out by the thousands to witness. And it's typically 
at the top levels, three three-minute rounds to see who can rap the best and who can out-rap and out-perform and out-insult the person that they're against. It's a whole culture. It's got rules. It's got, you know, commentators. <laughs> it's got YouTube channels dedicated it's to it. It's a thing. Yeah. It's a thing. It's brilliant. And so there are a lot of really great battle rappers and a lot of brilliant battle rappers who have shifted culture. But one of them that kind of came into being a, a few years back, I think it was four or five years back, was a the kind of the first Christian battle rapper, the pioneer. His name is The Saga. And so The Saga came in unashamedly announcing that he was a Christian battle rapper, but he wanted to, again, have excellence, be dope, but also to distinguish why he was there. Now, it feels weird because it's like, well, isn't this the same thing as like a a Christian rapper or something else? It's a little bit different in the context of it's not just someone mentioning Jesus a bunch of times or maybe even at all. It's just a standard by which they will carry out their bars and carry out their performance. Mm. And after the saga came a guy named Loso, who is from Tampa, Florida. And then after Loso, or maybe actually even before Loso, uh, he's my he's my boy, so he might get me on this, but it's my man, Street Hymns, one of my friends, uh, okay. who actually is a part of this group. And then came A-Ward. So the four of them are what they call the four horsemen. And they're the original four horsemen. They you know, support one another, big up one another. They battle together, all the above, right? And they have different allegiances and alliances now, but they're the original four horsemen. And so A-Ward is basically a battle rapper who is excellent. He's actually technically what would, you know, I, I'll say this. He's, he's a different type of battle rapper than the others. He does something that they call rebuttals. So like if I insult you and you take <laughs> the insult that I gave, it's just like a debate, right? If you take the insult I gave and then flip it back against me, boomerang it against me, that's called a rebuttal, right? And that typically gets a crazy crowd reaction. So A-Ward is kind of the king of rebuttals. So he just comes up with these off the top of his head and they're incredible. Um, so one of the guys... Uh, one of the battle rappers, he dissed them and said, basically, I look like Jesus, kind of playing on the the theme of, oh, you serve white Jesus, right? Mm. And A-Ward said, um, just off the top of his head, once it came time for his round, you know, he said, you do look like Jesus. He said, that's kind of hard. That was kind of hard in a way. And then the dude had a do-rag on. But he said, but my God wouldn't wear that bummy do-rag. He had a part in the waves. Oh, yeah. And it got crazy crowd reaction, right? And even the other battler had to acknowledge like, oh, okay, bet. That was dope. And so A-Ward is that type of battle rapper. Um, and he has tremendous written content as well. And so, yes, battle rap is typically a, a place that glorifies violence and misogyny and all kinds of things, but it is artful. And the people who are doing it are genius. And to hear people who are taking the art form and trying to represent Christ, but not in a way that's necessarily preachy or proselytizing, but that's more in a teaching and a revealing. And also the fact that A-Ward is considered by some people to be the best battle rapper this year, the champion of the year. Ah. Um, so some people, I would actually, he's definitely top three. He might be number one, depending on how you look at it. But 
Award gets the nod because he just does things so well. Uh, one more line I'll, I'll, I'll share with you is another guy who he had uh, battled earlier in his career, a guy named Geechee Gotti. Geechee Gotti is one of the top battle rappers, extremely disrespectful, but super gifted. And he's uh, part of the Crips, right? So he's part of the Crips. So you see the Crips. You see, it's lots of gang culture in battle rap. Mm. They'll, they'll be in the background or whatever. And so he's part of the Crips. And so A-Ward said when he was rapping against him, and this is in, in you know, Geechee Gotti's hood, basically. You know, it's, it's his battle rap league. And so A-Ward had said, um, what did he say? He said, what you brought? Few guns? Um, he said, God already split a red sea. What you think happened to a blue one? Ooh. And I remember I was like, yo. And the way he said it, the delivery, everything. This is a real art. And honestly, it really has inspired me because not just A-Ward, but really all these battle rappers, because I kind of had to piecemeal my homiletical style. My homiletical preaching style is a piecemeal of a lot of different things. I love Gardner Taylor, the late, great Dr. Gardner Calvin Taylor, the dean of preaching, perhaps the greatest preacher that America has ever uh, produced. But I can't preach like Gardner Taylor. He had a refined, I don't know, elite (laughs) economy of words that I can't, I, I don't know how he does that. I can be inspired by him, but I can't preach like him. I love Bishop T.D. Jakes, who's the greatest preacher alive, in my opinion, but I can't preach like Bishop Jakes. I can't Mm -hmm. preach like my father. But what I can do is I can piecemeal things that move me when it comes to words and anoint them (laughs) and merge them with the homiletical sermonic moment. So that's everything from the rhyme schemes in hip hop, like most deaf and common, to the timing of battle rap when it comes to punchlines and when it comes to things that are memorable, even building up to set up your audience for something that's coming later, um, to the performance and the physicality of spoken word poets. All of it, I just basically piecemealed and I said, I don't know the rules of homiletics because that's not really how I was taught. So I had to piecemeal my own style and figure out what I embodied while taking the faithful exegesis of the word and saying, this is how we tie in the faithful exegesis of the word in an embodied theology of life and with my whole self. (laughs) So Hmm. it's really been encouraging in that regard because I've been able to actually, I think, become a better preacher by studying these people who stand in front of large crowds and are able to move them with only their voice and only their Uh, words. This man connected battle rap to preaching. I mean, it, yeah, I mean, that's I love how, that's it. That's why it means a lot to me because it's yes. just the timing and the and the intentionality and the thought behind each word, each letter, each phrase, and also how the crowd reacts. And most of us don't think about that in preaching, but it's true that crowd control, as they call it in battle rap, is extremely important in preaching as well to control the flow and the mood and the direction of the crowd. So. Yeah, that's that's. <laughs> I didn't mean to get on that. Listen, whatever I like, I'm a nerd. In, okay, that's so, it. <laughs> we love I it. Like I'm full. I'm all the way in on it. So that's if you just, like it, we love it. I love getting into the mind of Tyler Burns, the one and the only. Shout out to Award. Shout out to Award. <laughs> so, um, the rest of mine are admittedly sort of selfish. 
I'm going to take points of privilege Let's on these, but it, it it is, you know, when we're talking about cultural artifacts, we're talking about things that have made a big impression and it's obviously subjective. These lists are going to be different for everybody. So I don't mind saying some things that have stood out for me personally. And the first one is of, of the remaining one is the book, how to fight racism. Okay, let's go. It's my second book came out the day before the insurrection. (laughs) So I'll never forget the date that it dropped. And I'm so proud of this book, y'all. It hasn't moved units like The Color of Compromise did because who could have predicted the pandemic, you know, the, the racial justice uprising. But man, I poured my heart and soul into this book. It was a book that took, honestly, a lot of courage to write. Uh, because, you know, with history, I'm sort of in my bag. I mean, at least in my discipline, right? How to Fight Racism was much more about the present and the future. And so it entailed some risk-taking. It entailed some um, theorizing. And uh, there's no guarantee that it's going to work because even among people who want racial justice, we can differ dramatically on how to pursue it. For instance, right. do you abolish the police? Do you reform the police? Right? Like that's just one of many debates that that folks have. So it was really, really difficult to write in some parts, particularly um, the last third of the book talking about like policy changes and whatnot. But um, what I think is the value of the book, it, it, two things. One, I prioritize the practical. So so the f- most frequent question I get from people whenever I talk about racial justice is, what do we do? So we talk on and on and on about what's wrong, what the problems are. And people are like, I get it. It's a problem. I want to be part of the solution, but I don't know where to start. What do I do? Give me something practical. So each and every chapter has lots of practical steps and not just bullet points. I, I give explanations, rationale, example, et cetera, et cetera. But I think the real value of the book is not simply the practical steps. It's the arc of racial justice framework, because that gives us a way to think yes. about racial justice that mm-hmm. goes beyond lists and bullet points. So, um, We've talked about this before. Go back and listen to the podcast, which Tyler graciously allowed me to geek out on the book when it came out at the top of the year. But it's simply an acronym that stands for awareness, relationships, and commitment. And you need all three parts, like the legs of a stool, to have a stable foundation on which to build your racial justice efforts. So I'm just, what I'm excited about is the extensions, the applications of this framework. You can use the arc of racial justice to write a strategic plan for your organization. You can use it for your church or congregation. You can even use this for your family to say, okay, not in the next year. That's a long time. Say the next three months. What are we going to do to intentionally build our awareness about issues of race, racism, and white supremacy? What are we going to do to intentionally go out and build relationships across racial and ethnic and cultural divides with people we might not normally interact with? What are we going to do to proactively work at a policy level, at a legal level, at a systemic level to make sure that we are building systems of racial equity and not just changing individual behaviors? That can be so powerful. As I've said before, the difference between a dream and a goal is a plan. 
And so mm. what if we mm. make a plan to fight racism using this arc of racial justice? Um, the reviews have been incredibly positive. And I actually think a year in to the book being out, we're only beginning to scratch the surface of what individuals, groups, families, churches might do with this framework. And last thing, I'm super excited. Uh, the folks at Zonder Kids reached out to me and said, hey, we would love a adaptation of this book for youth ages eight to 12 and fourth through sixth grade. Tyler's tapping the book, hardcover. Um, see, 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 you tell on yourselves, I know if you were an early adopter because you got the hardcover, if you got the hey. paperback, I know, I know it took you a minute Everybody to catch ain't on, able. But Everybody that's okay. ain't able. Catch up. <laughs> Level um, up in 2022. Let's do it. But Tyler, my imagination is on fire thinking about adults and kids, parents and children taking up this work together and making it an intergenerational endeavor. That's where I think things start to pop. That's where I think transformation really starts to become visible. That's where I think that in small ways, in our circles of influence, we we can begin to turn corners and, um, you know, be on the lookout, folks, for, you know, online book studies. I'll be going through the Young Readers Edition. Be on the lookout for racial justice planning sessions where we sit down and I facilitate with you uh, going through the arc of racial justice framework, but you make your plan for yourself. And we just set aside some time to do that. So um, I really hope that, that you know, th- this is this is my rebuttal to all the people who say, oh, Jamar and all these other scholars are just about deconstruction. All they want to do is dismantle it, the faith, dismantle the United States to the point where there's nothing left. No, I am offering creative ways to address the problems that we're facing. And to call me purely a deconstructionist, which I don't even care about that term and people use it differently, but it totally ignores the ways that I and so many others are trying to provide practical, actionable, effective ways to tackle this seemingly intractable problem of racism and white supremacy. So how to fight racism. Yeah, they're offended by our deconstruction because our reconstruction won't have them at the center. Ooh, come on now. Come on, Tyler. But that's not for this episode. That's not for this. (laughs) You didn't even use your preacher voice for that one, but you just did a sermon. That's that's why they mad. They mad because they know if if we tear it down, if we tear anything down or get down to its root and relearn it and reapproach it and rediscover ways in which it's been corrupted um, by sin and by the pervasiveness of white supremacy, that it will decenter them. And so the fight isn't about the deconstruction, it's about the decentering. Anyway, Ooh, pick up uh, how to fight Y'all, racism. You know, you need to tweet that, put that on a meme, <laughs> put that on Instagram, put that out there, tag Tyler Burns. <laughs> Shoot, at Burns Clan. Wow. That was good. That was good. All right. So so if if it was good, let's take a break. We'll be right back, right here on Pass the Mic, and we'll finish our cultural artifacts list.
Hey Jamar, you know we have been doing Pass the Mic for about seven years now. That is, I don't know how many episodes, a lot. millions of downloads, I <laughs> yes. mean, so many sessions, and we still love doing this, right? We absolutely do. I am amazed at how much energy we have. I think it gets better, like fine wine over time as yes. we do it. And that's what we tell ourselves, yes. at least. <laughs> Touch and <man>, agree. <laughs> I want us to do this for another seven years. And to do this, we are needing the audience's help. Yes. We need your help as listeners to fund this incredible work here that we're doing at Pass the Mic. And they can do that through our Patreon community. Yes. Would you consider becoming a patron of Pass the Mic for just a dollar an episode? One dollar. You can support this work. Go to patreon.com forward slash pass the mic, M-I-C, patreon.com forward slash pass the mic and fund and fuel this work for the next seven years the next seven years the next 10 years who knows the next 50 years if the lord okay. should tarry <laughs> we are excited about We're gonna be holograms work. yes we will but you can fund it at patreon.com forward slash pass the mic thank you all so much for your help and support thank you This episode is brought to you in part by Baker Publishing Group. Most of us don't want to spend our lives being time wasters, space takers, binge watchers, or game players. We want to be difference makers. But maybe we make changing the world a little more complex than it really is. Making a difference isn't measured by a viral post or a name on a building. It isn't determined by a following or a fan base. Want to make a difference? Focus on just one person at a time. That's the secret of the way of Jesus. In his newest book, One at a Time, Kyle Eidelman invites us to better understand the surprising habits of Jesus and the power of small things done with great love. He challenges true disciples to fully commit to the unexpected Jesus way of changing the world by loving people one at a time. Baker Bookhouse is pleased to partner with Christianity Today to offer a special discount on your copy of One at a Time. Visit bakerbookhouse.com by February 28th, 2022 and use promo code one That's O-N-E-2022 to receive 40% off with free shipping. Back here on Past the Mic, we have part two of our cultural artifacts list. We have each given, well, I've given seven things. Jamar has given eight things. So it's my turn now. Jamar just talked about the How to Fight Racism Young Readers edition. And I am going to lighten the mood just a little bit. And this is the thing that I feel like I haven't really done as much of, and that's recommend comedy. I don't really sit around watching comedy, listening to comedy. TV shows. I don't watch stand-up routines often, although that is a really great performance art and it's tremendous and the people who do it are gifted. I'm just so serious. You speak in my language now. Life. Look, I'm yes. about the depth of life, the problems of the world. <laughs> nah, I homie. Got we we got to do the show. comedy. I love it. Go, go, go. I got put on to this show. It's an HBO TV show and it is not just hilarious. It is brilliant. It's the show Southside. Now, look, yo, I, I don't know if you've yeah. uh, you watched this. I haven't watched it. I've heard nothing but good things, but go off. Bro, Southside. Get on Southside. So basically, this is the plot. It's a pair of recent community college graduates are looking to become entrepreneurs in Chicago's Southside. So it's filmed and set in the Inglewood area of Chicago, and it follows these two friends 
who are seeking this business success while working at a rent to own shop. The level of clever this is, it's not just hilarious laugh out loud funny. It's so clever culturally. It is brilliant. Like so there's a dude <laughs> this is a, this is one episode that I recently I recently watched it was hilarious. Um they were trying to do side hustles. So they were trying to there was this one dude and he was trying to pop popcorn and sell popcorn for a dollar outside the movie theater, right? So he's trying to sell popcorn for a dollar outside the movie theater. Four people walk in and pay the exorbitant fees. And so the dudes, these two main characters, Simon and Kareem, they get hip to it, right? And so they're like, yeah, let's do that too. You know, so basically the dude was using the reason why they did this because the dude was using a microwave that he hadn't paid for, right? So they were coming to retrieve and repossess the microwave. And he hadn't paid for it. So they were like, yo, let's repossess the microwave, which is our right to do. And then let's flip it and do it ourselves. So they're doing it <laughs> in the shop, right? So they're doing it in the rental own business, you know, after hours. But the problem is they're using all the microwaves and it's starting to short out the power in the building. And Lil Rel Howery play, plays a barber who's downstairs in the basement who is you know, adversely affected because he's, he's having his clients come and he's cutting, you know, cutting hair down there and he's, the power keeps going out. So they force him out and then he steals the microwaves or whatever. But the funny thing was they walk downstairs and they're like, where the microwaves go? And Lil Rel Howry is cutting three heads at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) He's like going from one to the other. And bro, I don't know if it's because I've seen I may have seen someone do that before. I don't know if it's like in in a dramatic presentation, not in real life, but I could see like there were literal barbers that I thought about that I was like, this dude would be cutting three heads at the same time, bro. Uh. It made me laugh so hard. I had to pause it. I paused it. I was not prepared. It was hilarious. And then of course he had taken the microwaves. He's like, Y'all want a hot towel? And then pulls out a hot towel or the microwaves or whatever. Look. Southside is hilarious. It is also extremely clever and culturally clever and brilliant. When you talk about the little things that it references in Black culture, everything from civil rights to the perceived Blackness of famous celebrities, all the above, it's just... And someone had mentioned this on Twitter, the jokes per minute ratio is unbelievable. Like the writing level, it's like, yo, how do y'all think like this? How are you... That adept, how are you that skilled, like an agile going back and forth? It's it's one of the most enjoyable shows I've watched in a long time. And I watch all the deep shows and the brooding shows and all that. Yeah, and there's you some do. that I cut from you this do. list. But this right here, this right here, y'all have to watch Southside. Jamar, okay. you would love it. I know your, I- your level of humor, you would love it. I think I'm I'm on to it. I absolutely. I was going to watch it anyway, but you just bumped it to the top of the list. That's incredible. I love it. I love that you embrace some comedy, yes, some levity. <laughs> Your boy's trying to lighten up in 2022. I'm trying to lighten up, man. That would be it. Okay, okay, okay. Very good. Well, um, this sort of continues on the lines of lightness. It's 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 not entertainment or film or books, but it 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 is joy. It is black joy. And again, I told y'all before, point of privilege. Some of the a lot of this has has to do with my life and my personal journey. 
um, trying to be reflective, right? Like Tyler told us to do at the end of the year. So, y'all, if you take five years to complete anything, let alone doing it in a pandemic and a racial justice uprising of historic proportions and an incredibly disruptive political environment and all of that. It's an achievement. It's an accomplishment. It's something that you should mark down in your personal calendar to look back on and reflect on frequently. And for me, that was finally finishing my PhD in history at the University of Mississippi this August. P.H. Done. Yes. Come on. Point. Come on, bro. Come on. I don't know, man. Look. Um. Okay. So, so like on a the deep level. of a milestone, bro. I love it. It was. So, I mean, if, if you've looked into the PhD or you've talked to anyone in any PhD in any field, most likely they'll tell you it's not about intelligence. It's about perseverance. It's not about being the smartest people. Mm. It's about being able to complete an enormous project that takes years. And there are very few people encouraging you. It feels uphill almost the whole way. And um, even the reward at the end is not a guarantee. It's not like becoming a medical doctor or something where at least you'll have a salary uh, that you know of. So um, it can get very discouraging. Long So what it represented to me is that I can do hard things, <laughs> right? Like mm. I, I just, it's, and, and, and a particular kind of hard thing, which is really, really difficult for, for, for somebody who's wired the way I am is to complete a hard thing that takes a long time. That was the part that got me because in, yeah. in the middle of this, you know, I'm helping to, to lead the witness and, and be on this podcast. I'm speaking nationally. I'm right. I wrote two books in the meantime, <laughs> before yeah, I, I wrote my dissertation. That. I don't know how I you don't know either. That. I don't know because I get distracted easily. So, um, and, and, and it just came down to the wire. Like they kept pushing my due date, uh, earlier and earlier so that I was working a full-time job, while trying to complete the last two and a half chapters of my dissertation, which is almost, you know, half the dissertation. So um, it was just, an, I mean, I would be up to like two in the morning and then get up again to go to work. And then I'd be working all day on the weekend. And my lovely wife, shout out to Janae, just, you know, brought me snacks and watched our son and made space for me to to be able to do this. And then I had a wonderful advisor uh, and chair, uh, Dr. Shanette Garris-Scott, who who wrote a great book on on Black banking. So it it was just all this support that, that got me, I mean, dragged me across the finish line. And now to be able to have that qualification um, to be able, <laughs> it still sounds funny when people call me doctor, all that stuff, but it's just one wow. of those things about perseverance and education. Once you get it, nobody can take it away. And so I'm just so thankful. Uh, if it wasn't for the Lord <laughs> who, was, Come on. who was by my side, I don't know where I'd be right now. So uh, that was huge. That was a 2021 milestone. And the last part is I publicly celebrated. I put it on Instagram, yes, Facebook, bro. Twitter. Yes. 
we That's took a long overdue vacation. We stayed at a Four Seasons uh, resort in San Diego to celebrate because it was a family affair. Come We've on, been man. saving up for it. And it's just like, man, y'all, we got to celebrate these moments. We got to because there's so much that we have to endure and persevere through. There's so much that tries to crush us. And there's so much, even within our own minds, that tries to undermine our own God-given brilliance Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and our own ability to do hard things, to do incredible things, to do extraordinary things. You can do it. I don't know what it is for you right now, but there is something, a goal that seems unachievable, a goal that you're on the path and it seems so far away that you're not sure you'll make it. I'm standing here to tell you, you can make it. If I can earn a PhD throughout all of this stuff that we've been through in the past half decade, I know you can do what's on your heart to do. And when you do it, celebrate it. Yes. Yes. Celebrate it for you. Celebrate it for the people who supported you and celebrate it to God who brought you through. Amen, brother. That's a sermon, man. That's a sermon in and of itself. Hey, I'm proud just, of just, you, just man. Trying. I, I know how much, <laughs> I know how hard it was. I know how difficult it was for you to navigate it. And I only know it from afar. So that means I only know a crumb, a scintilla of it. But man, <laughs> to see you, to see you in strong and in well, man, in the midst of everything that's going on in a global pandemic, man, it was, it's incredibly inspiring man so shout out to you brother dr jamar tisby hey (laughs) what you got up next all right so we have two more um jamar has one more i have two more and this is going back to music okay so i'm trying to have a diverse list where we hop around to different things and this particular album i think it's the best one i heard all year and this is the album mother by cleo soul Uh, Cleo Soul is one of the singers for the group that I have mentioned in previous Cultural Artifacts episodes, especially last year, Salt, S-A-U-L-T. She's one of the singers for Salt. And she has a voice that feels a lot like a warm hug. (laughs) Like her voice and the way in which this album is constructed is almost like a a slow sunrise and it is very reserved it is very deliberate but it's one of the only albums that featured music plus singing words that I could actually work to with it in the background which is very okay rare, right? okay it's typically one of those things you have to do movie scores or something like that or just instrumentals but you can't work when someone's singing or talking but this is one of those albums that I could. And I think if I'm not mistaken, I believe this is all, well, this is all because she became a young mother. She became a new mother. And she talks about this in an Instagram post. Uh, She says, everything is real. I do this for the younger me that didn't always speak what was on her heart and that made herself smaller to fit others' ideals. I've never felt as present as I do now. I've always tried to embrace where I am in life, but at certain points you just get lost and don't have the awareness to navigate yourself out and into the light. I guess life happens in waves and thinking of that always gives me peace in the moment. 
I became a mother this year, and it's been the most transformative, uplifting, heart-melting, strength-giving experience thus far that led me to write this album. We had plans to take a break, but God's got jokes and was like, now you guys create and have fun. So we did. Mother Mm. was born, and it truly... And truly, it was a beautiful, growing experience. So I believe that she recorded a lot of this album with her child in her arms. And you feel as though there is this intimate connection between her and her child and her past. It's a solemn album, but it's not a cynical album. It's not a sad album. It's actually an album filled with hope. Hmm. And the infusion of how she takes R&B and gospel and kind of the smooth neo-soul approach never hits a wrong note. Um, And it's really, it really feels like the sun is going to come up. Every time I have a very difficult day, I typically will try to put this album on to remind myself the sun will rise and that when the sun rises, warmth will be there for me and love will be there for me. And I try to remember that in everything that I do. So this album, I think it's not just a a phenomenal album and a great album, but it's really the most intimately encouraging album of the year for me. And that's uh, Mother by Cleo Soul. I always get new music recommend. You're never going to come with uh, the mainstream or the well-known. You I mean, always I'm gonna not come. To, I mean, some of that stuff is on my on my honorable mentions, and you'll see some stuff. You're like, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, ah, we keep that, you know. Ah, I just I just remember you hating because I recognize the the cultural impact of Taylor Swift. But what I mean, whatever, you know, each each their own. I'm, it's I'm, each I'm, their own. I'm playing nice, man. You're in a reflecting <laughs> mood, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna insult you while you down. You silly. You silly. Okay, I won't so tell you about the more. Justin Bieber tip I've been on. Then uh-huh, I'll, I'll just leave that alone. No, I remember because we were in the we were in the retreat. We we're at the PTM recording retreat. And this dude, number one, Jamar be whipping. He be whipping whatever car he's driving. Uh, like, here we go. Here we go. It's like as fast as the trees. So I'm like, I don't know what in the world is gonna happen. So I'm holding on, and this dude is singing Justin Bieber at extreme volumes, obnoxious levels. Anyway. I'll, I'll, I'll save that. I'll save take a video that. Next time. That'll take be behind the scenes. That'll be on PTM Patreon. For PTM our Patreon, Patreon subscribers, patreon.com slash pass the mic. Subscribe today for lovely extras like this. This is my last one for okay, 2021. It's not going to be a surprise to people, but I think it's a it's an appropriate ending because it has to do with me and you, Tyler. It has to do with the podcast and it has to do with really a moment for our podcast. Now, we've had some incredible moments. We've been doing this joint since, uh, I think, 2014 in total. Yep. Man, it's a lot, week by week almost. <laughs> and and we've had a lot of really, you know, mic drop moments. We've passed the mic to some incredible people. But this one, this time, I think is a high point. It's definitely going to be on the timeline. And it's going to be one of those things that when people say pass the mic, if they know about the podcast, this is probably the first thing they're going to know. So for my final cultural artifact episode of 2021, I have to shout out the Leave Loud campaign. Okay, yeah, yeah, let's get it. <laughs> the Leave Loud campaign. We're trying to get it back in the ecosphere because he knows we got, some, <laughs> we got some heat coming in 2022. We, I feel you. Trying to get it back the, in the zeitgeist. 
Well, that's the beauty of it is 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 it has legs and it's got longevity because what we tapped into was something so important. So y'all go back to January of 2021. We we kicked off the year with a series of what we call Leave Loud episodes. And I won't rehash the whole thing because we talk about it in detail in those podcasts, but basically in light of all that's been going on, all things considered in the U.S. and globally, there are a lot of Black Christians who have reconsidered, rethought, gained some clarity about their church situation. And whereas there was a quiet exodus that's taken from a name of a New York Times article back in 2018, where Black people were just kind of quietly leaving out the side door, out the back door, not disrupting things, but but understanding this wasn't for them. Things kept happening, and uh, racism and white supremacy in the church kept cropping up. And now it's time to leave loud. So we tell our stories. We go back to to, to passages like in Mark chapter six, where Jesus sends the disciples out two by two. Says, if they don't accept you, leave the village, kick the dust off your sandals, as a testimony against them. And so we are telling our stories. We are giving witness as a testimony against the bad behavior that we've experienced in some of these spaces. And so I told my story, Tyler told his story, Allie told her story, and we've got other stories, too many, honestly, so tragic, actually, of Black Christians who really gave it a go who really believed that we could be together in on, in the same congregation, in the same fellowships, and make progress in terms of race and justice, only to be rebuffed, only to be gaslighted, only to have our efforts uh, almost completely sidetracked and face frustration, fatigue, exhaustion, anger, betrayal, all of those things. But what I'm really proud of is that we embraced our stories and yes. we, we yes. told it, we took control of the narrative. We didn't have to use anybody else's platform. We didn't have to wait on anybody to see the value of the story. We have been building this table on the podcast and at the witness for years and particularly for moments like this moments when nobody could, el- nobody else could tell our story. Nobody else could tell it the way we needed to tell it. And so I encourage you to go back and listen to Leave Loud. I encourage you to go to the website, thewitnessbcc.com, and read our explainers because some people, can we have nice things, Tyler? Some people want to take Leave Loud and make it into something that it was never yeah. intended to be. <laughs> and let, we us, have... let us cook, man. Let us cook. Come on, let us cook. We have clarified, we have explained about what it is and what it isn't. And um, and it's not over. It's not over. I would love to continue to tell these stories because in these stories, we find solidarity. In these stories, we find catharsis. In this story, we e- these stories, we even find uh, encouragement and strength to continue knowing that that we're not alone and that what we what has befallen us is not uncommon to to man or woman. So um, I just thought we ought to end the year, hearkening back to the way we began the year on the podcast, telling our stories, our way, even the painful ones. But praise God, 
He redeems everything and nothing is wasted in God's economy. We are learning from this. We are getting stronger from this and we're going to keep going. Amen. Amen. Yeah, man. I I think I also want to shout out all the people who told their stories, you know, to us privately or even publicly shared things on the witness or shared in threads. I know it's just the beginning for many of us of having a space for people to share those stories. There's a lot of things to come with that, but I want to honor you. I've had personal discussions with a lot of you and um, some of them now um, are, are, you know, members of our church, you know, all kinds of things. So um, they're very close to my heart. So thank you all for getting behind us on that, sticking with us and also sharing in it as well. All right. My final one, I'm going back to the culture and this is a movie. I told you I was movie heavy. I think I have three movies on my list, which is a little movie heavy, but um, I am going to share the movie that I thought about the most this year in 2021, came out earlier this year. It is a movie called The Green Knight. And uh-huh. The Green Knight is a fantasy adventure. It's based on an Arthur tale. And it tells the story of Sir Garwin, who is King Arthur's reckless nephew. And he embarks on a daring quest to confront the Green Knight. So for those who are unfamiliar with it, it's a story where a Green Knight appears in Arthur's court, I believe it's at Christmas, and proposes a game. He challenges any man in the room to strike him with his axe and then meet him one year later at the Green Chapel where he will return the favor. So Sir Garwin steps forward and he picks up the axe and he chops off the Green Knight's head. And so he thinks it's over and steps away, but then the body of the Green Knight goes and picks up the head and the (laughs) eyes open and the head says, one year hence or one year from this moment. And then he gets on his horse and rides out laughing. Um, with his headless body <laughs> holding his head. And as one does. So, yeah, it's a typical, typical, typical thing. Nothing, nothing major. Um, but as time elapses, Garwin is going through this journey and transformation as one who is attempting to be a knight. And he is going through this transformation of leaving behind kind of the, the temptations of the world and the temptations of mediocrity. And he's trying to navigate this all the while time is elapsing as he gets closer to his year when he has to go on this journey. And there's this searing scene between Garwin as a nephew and Arthur as his uncle when, you know, it's probably about a month out or a few weeks out from the time when he's supposed to go and meet the Green Knight and receive his blow. And Garwin is like, I don't want to do this. Like, I could die. Like, I, cut his head off. He said, he's going to do the same to me. Like I could die. And Arthur says, I don't know of any man who hasn't marched up to greet death before it's time. Hmm. And Garwin is like, why do you keep pushing this? And then as it connects to your PhD journey, Jamar, Arthur looks at him and says, is it wrong to want greatness for you? What? And So Garwin goes on the journey, and I'm not going to tell you what happens, but Garwin goes on the journey, and in the journey, he encounters the challenges and the test of what it means to be a knight, 
honor, chastity, courage, courtesy, faith, fortitude, humility. He encounters these various challenges. It's, I think, five in general, but there's so many micro challenges in the midst of them. And he is tested. And at the end, you'll have to watch and find out what happens. But this this film really challenged me to take inventory of what I consider to be great and what I consider to be greatness. And the parts of me that may not even be necessarily bad, but may be lower than the highest standard that I could hold myself to. And this question literally made, this, this movie made me ask the question of myself, is it wrong to want greatness for myself? And is it wrong for me to want to go out and not greet death and meet death in a reckless way, but to face the thing that fears me most or that most fears me? Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's why I absolutely love this film. It's beautifully shot. It's A24, so you know they're going to come with it. And I, I loved it. I watched it multiple times and I tried to process it and think about it and pick it apart. And I love what they did at the end. I wish I could talk about the end <laughs> with people who have seen it. I love what they did at the end. That's... I loved it so much that I actually spoiled the movie for my wife. And she was fine with it. She said it was okay, but I spoiled the movie for my wife so I could talk about it with her. And she was like, wow, that's really deep and interesting. <laughs> yeah, so. Take him one so for the team. Much. Yes, please, please, fam. Like, watch this and then reach out to me. And I want to hear your thoughts because The Green Knight is just the movie I've thought about the most in 2021. So I remember you telling me about it as soon as it came out and and you you watched it and I haven't. Well, I, I, I should say I skimmed it, but uh, 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 ah, I need to. This boy fell asleep. This boy watched with his eyes closed. <laughs> nothing of he the sort. Nothing of the sort. I was tr- I was trying to watch just enough of it to see how sad it was going to make me and whether I was in an emotional state to, to deal with it. Yeah, it's but, not. It's not a. It's one of those. It's me reverting back to my natural. Like it's not happy go lucky. It's difficult. Um, but, but deep. it is. It yeah. is deep, and I think it's it's definitely something we should watch and wrestle with when it comes to. And this has kind of been a theme, like the myths we believe, Mm. you know, the myths we believe, not just about the world and our country and the places where we live and our faith traditions, but the myths we believe about ourselves and what we're capable of versus what we assume will happen. Look at that. And I think that personally was the biggest wrestle and the thing I had to really contend with when it comes to uh, the film. So yeah, I recommend it. You know, uh, it's, it's, you know, one of those polarizing de- divisive things that like, especially like what's the end mean and all this, it, Hey, you know, take it, take it for, for what you think it is. And, uh, but I think it's worth your time. So that's our list, bro. Let's, let's that recap. And then we'll give yes, some, then yes. we'll give some, some honorable mentions. Let's recap. I'll go first. My list in no particular order again was the movie Judas and the black Messiah. The book said I wasn't going to tell nobody by Dr. James Cone. The album Red Hands Live by the Red Hands Band. The comic Bitter Root. The person, the brilliant 2021 Scripps National Spelling Bee winner, Zaila Avant-Garde. The movie Le Sommet de Du, or Summit of the Gods. The battle rapper A-Ward. The HBO TV show Southside. 
the album Mother by Cleo Soul and the movie The Green Knight. I'm proud of this list. I think this list is really dope. Okay, this list is dope. Okay, <laughs> give you a 10 and then we'll give some honorable mentions and get out of here. Very good. So I chose Clarity, Juneteenth Becoming a Federal Holiday, the book How to Fight Racism, and the Young Reader's Edition of the Same. Finishing my PhD, PH done, and the Leave Loud campaign. And give them your first five again so that they remember. And the first five, Black Women, the documentary A Man Named Scott, the U.S. legal system, the January 6th insurrection, and the COVID-19 vaccine. All right, Jamar, you got any uh, honorable mentions? Bro, I got like 10. (laughs) Man, (laughs) I exhausted myself doing the 10 for the other. The one I had left out ain't even that good. It was just something I thought of. So, you know, go, go, go for yours. Go for yours. I I typically, this is again, how I typically write my list. I think I've forgotten some big things that just weren't in my mind, but I typically try to have a lot to pick from. And there's some that I kind of kicked out because in, in comparison, they weren't as good. One I'll say that I felt like was kind of cheating putting on the list. And if he's made it to the end, shout out to you, bro. But um, it's Shouting in the Fire by Dante Stewart. I felt like I was kind of cheating because we're going to have Dante no, on the podcast. Yeah, that's so, good. You know? uh, but it's tremendous. And knowing what it means, knowing the person behind the book um, means so much more. So he's going to be one of our first guests in 2022. Um, yeah, there's an episode of The Crown called Moondust. Jamar, you got to watch that. You got to watch of The Crown? Yeah, bro. Don't sleep okay. on the crown, y'all. Don't sleep on it. Look, I know what you think. It's what I thought too. But the crown, they be spitting. They be spitting and they be writing. Okay. The episode Moon Dust, which if you want to talk, I, I couldn't pick Green Knight and Moon Dust because it's essentially the same confrontation of the male myth, the myth of male masculinity and achievement and performance and the assumption of it. Um, but I really appreciated that episode. Um, the TV show Invincible which probably should have made my list, dog. The TV show Invincible is animated superhero comic book folklore like you've never seen it before. It probably should have made my list. If my list was 11 or 12, it would have been. (laughs) Um, The movie King Richard, uh, which was really good, and that was very close to making my list. Um, WandaVision. (laughs) <laughs> was close yes. to make making my list, not super close, but it was close. Bro, that was a um, moment. Yes. Yeah, you know, yeah, what is grief? All that. Um, Loki, the Loki season finale episode, specifically, that turn by Jonathan Majors and that um performance by Jonathan Majors was black excellence to the tilt. Um two more uh bell hooks. Uh, Oh, I probably should have put Bell Hooks on his list. Like I was like, ah, you know, I talked about Bell Hooks last year with the Will to Change, Um, Succession season three, which was unbelievable. Not watching Succession, you tripping? Um, (laughs) White drama is the best drama. Anyway, uh, (laughs) rich white drama is the best drama. And uh, (laughs) (laughs) ain't nothing like it. I can tell you that, bro. And the book Deacon King Kong. Deacon King Kong is amazing. Um, but it was, it was some low points in it. I was like, ah, I don't know if I can put it on my list. And, um, yeah, I think that's it. I also love Lucky Day's album, uh, from this year and all of Lucky Day's catalog. I kind of discovered him as an artist. 
his whole catalog is amazing. His voice is perfect. Um, so if you like R and B, like any any sort of male R and B, like neo soul, modern stuff, yes, today, that's my jam. Amazing. So yeah, man, I, it was it was a great year, and so I was like, oh man, I will put all this stuff in, and I was like, oh no, <laughs> I, I gotta go, I gotta cut it down to ten. So I feel like I gave away some of my kids, but it's fine, man, it's fine. I still got to shout them out at the end. I love it. I love it. Fantastic list, bro. So much fun doing these. I want to say thank you to all of our listeners. 2021 has been an incredible year for the podcast. We've had so many ups and downs just with all of life going on, but we're glad that we were able to share it with you. So thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for commenting. Thank you for your recommendations and your suggestions. Thank you for journeying with us one more again one more again and uh we got more coming your way we've got uh uh content that we have in mind we we're, we're trying to get better every single year if you would like to support us as always you can go to patreon.com slash pass the mic and for as little as one dollar an episode you can support us and help us do what we do at an even higher level but regardless Just thank you for tuning in. Thank you for giving us the precious gift of your time and attention. We love y'all. We appreciate you and we thank you. And we'll see you next year on Pass the Mic. The Mic.